Today we're going to be looking at the Christmas story not found in the Gospels. When you and I think of the Christmas story, we normally think of the accounts given in the Gospel of Matthew or the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Matthew, we have the Christmas story told from Joseph's standpoint. And there we have the wise men showing up as they follow the star leading them. Uh, We see angel coming to Joseph uh, in in a dream and and telling him to uh, go ahead and marry Mary, that uh, this child that she's about to have is uh, from uh, God, and uh, therefore he should not be afraid to marry her. Or we look at Luke's Gospel and we see the shepherds out in the field and, and we see Jesus being born in a manger and we hear the angels singing and and we get caught up in all of, of those events. But John, I think, wants us to concentrate on something else. He wants to give us a different look at the Christmas story. Simple, yet profound, as is characteristic of John. Take your Bibles and let's turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4, we'll be reading in verses 7 through 11. That Christmas story not found in the Gospels. Alright, stand together with me as we read the Word of God. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. And this is the love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. You may be seated. The crux of the Christmas story is love. John does not want us to be distracted by the wise men, by the manger scene. He does not want us to be distracted by the angels and the angelic choir singing. He wants us to see the true crux of Christmas. And that is God's love for us and our love for others. John's message is simple. Let us not lose sight of the true meaning of Christmas. You and I need to be careful that we don't get caught up in the commercialism of the Christmas season to the extent that we forget the true meaning of the Christmas story as well. It's easy to get under the pressure of having to find gifts for people that don't really need anything anyway and trying to find something appropriate to give them as an expression of your love. Uh, It's easy for us to get under that pressure and get under financial pressures because we don't have money to buy the gifts for the people that don't really need them anyway. And so we get under the pressure of the finances and we lose the whole true meaning of Christmas, which is God's love and our love for others. As we look at God's love, we're going to see four things about it this morning. First of all, God's love is personal. God's love is personal. 
You know, it's easy to think of God loving the masses and forget that God loves the individuals. Look at verse 9. By this the love of God was manifested in us. Not in the world, not in the masses, but in us. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. God loves you. God's love is personal. God loves you as an individual. God doesn't see the whole planet Earth and see a mass of humanity and just have a sense of love for the humanity that's on this Earth. No, He sees individuals. He sees you. And He says, I love. Put your name in the space. God's love is personal. Jesus told a story to illustrate this. Jesus said there was a shepherd who was out with his sheep and, and he came in at night and he brought him into the corral and he realized that one was missing. Ninety-nine were in, but one was missing. And that shepherd leaves the ninety-nine sheep. He goes out and searches diligently for that one sheep. And when he finds that sheep, you know what he does? He rejoices greatly. Look at what the Scripture says. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. He wasn't rejoicing over the ninety-nine that were in the stable, but he was rejoicing over the one that was lost, but he found. And then look at what Jesus says. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. God loves individuals. When one person, when you got saved, heaven rejoiced. Jesus also told a story about a lady that had ten coins and she lost one. And she turned that house upside down because she wanted to find that coin. Have you ever lost something and you just wanted to find it so bad you didn't know what to do? This is my cell phone. I lost it last night. I went to the state championship playoff game, which was at McKeecher. They were not playing, but since their stadium was one of the largest in the state, they had it there. And as I was getting ready to walk in the stadium, I noticed my cell phone was gone. Well, I remember I had made a phone call in the car at home before we left, so I was hoping it was in the van somewhere. Well, I got back to the van. It was nowhere to be found. I got back home and I looked all around the car. Nowhere to be found. So I knew I must have somehow dropped it somewhere between the time I left the van and the time I realized I didn't have it when I was almost in the stadium. Well, there it was, 10.30 at night, so I just went to bed. Called the phone company and said, my phone's lost, went to bed. Woke up this morning, on my mind. You know, I need to go out and find that phone before anybody else finds it, right? It's getting daylight now, so I got up at 7 o'clock and, and got dressed and went over to where I thought the phone might have been and got out of my car and started walking down the sidewalk, looking in the grass on both sides. And John, I found it. There it was. I was happy. <laughs> These things aren't cheap, you know. They give them to you cheap when you first buy the plan, but if you lose it, buddy, you've got to pay full price for it the next time. And I was happy. 
I almost called Terry and said, Rejoice with me, but I knew she'd be asleep and wouldn't be happy. She wouldn't rejoice at all. But this lady said, Rejoice with me. She calls her friends together, Jesus says. And when she found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin which I had lost. Now look at what Jesus says again. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner. Not over a thousand sinners, not over ten thousand sinners, but over one sinner who repents. God's love is personal. God loves you. Look at the sparrows, Jesus said. He says in Luke 12, Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You're more valuable than many sparrows. If not one sparrow can fall from the sky without God knowing it, don't you think He knows you? If He knows the number of hairs on your head, He knows you. He knows you personally. Because God's love is personal. Jesus loved individuals. As you look throughout the New Testament, you see over and over again where Jesus was talking to individuals. Now, if you were Jesus, and you had a whole world that needed to be saved, and you knew you didn't have three years to do it, wouldn't you rent the biggest coliseum you could find and preach to the multitudes? Wouldn't you get all the television stations you could get together and all the satellites you could manage and preach to the masses, the multitudes? I mean, who would have time to go talk to individuals? You've got a world that needs to be saved. But what did Jesus do? He preached to some masses, but He spent much more time talking to individuals, didn't He? He spent a whole night talking to Nicodemus about his spiritual condition. Walked 30 miles out of His way to talk to a woman at a well about her spiritual condition. Jesus also loved individuals. The Scripture says in John 11, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And what I like about that is that Jesus loved the individual. Mentions their names. It could be said of you as a Christian. Jesus loves Frank. Jesus loves Steve. Jesus loves Marshall. Jesus loves Brenda. Jesus loves Bonnie. Hey, Jesus loves you individually because God's love is, first of all, personal. Look what He said about Jesus' love for His disciples in John 13. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that His hour had come, that He would depart out of the world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. Some translations say He loved them to the utmost. He loved them as much as possible. Because God's love is personal. Now, if God so loved us, ought we not also to love one another? Because Christmas is about God's love for us and our love for each other. second thing about God's love, not only is it personal, but God's love is unconditional. Look at verse 10. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. God didn't wait on us to love Him before He loved us. A person who loves conditionally will only love someone if that person is meeting certain conditions. And normally it means they need to be loving me. You know, it's not hard to love somebody that's loving you, is it? It's hard to love people that don't love you. 
But the Bible says in verse 8, God is love. You see, it's God's nature to love. God loves you because He is love. God does not love us because we deserve it. Is there anyone here that can stand up and prove to us that you deserve God to love you? No. We don't deserve it. But He loves us because He's love. Because it is His very nature to love. God loves every person in this world. He loves the sinners, the murderers, the thieves, the good people, the respectable people. He hates sin, but He does love the sinner. The Bible says God showed His love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't say God demonstrated His love for us that while we were righteous people, while we were churchgoers, while we loved Him, He died for us. But while we were sinners, He died for us. Unconditional love. God loved us not because we loved Him. No. Unconditional. Not because we live right. Not because we come to church. Not because we've trusted Him for salvation. He loved us before we ever trusted Him. He loved us when we were His enemies. And He proved that love by sending Christ to die for us. That's how unconditional God's love is. And I want you to know that God loves the unlovely. God loves the unlovely because His love is unconditional. There was a leper that was walking down the street one day. And you know leprosy was the dreaded disease. It was like AIDS of today. And they felt that people could contract leprosy just from contact. And so lepers had to be isolated from society and they lived in a leopard colony. And when they walked down the street... If they saw somebody coming, they would have to yell out, Unclean! Unclean! So that that person could know not to get anywhere near that leper. The disease in advanced stages would result in the fingers rotting off because of infections, because they couldn't feel, and, and they would skin their hands and not know that they were infected because they couldn't feel the pain. Same thing about their toes. They'd get big, pus-filled nodules on their faces, on their skin, and on their throat. They had a real hoarse voice because of that. And nobody wanted anything to do with them. They were the outcasts of society. But look at what it says about Jesus and this leper in Luke 5. While he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. Literally, full of leprosy. This is the Scripture's way of saying in the advanced stages where their breath smelled like rotting flesh and their fingers were probably rotting off and and just in advanced stages, smelly, disfigured. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. If you'll have anything to do with me, even though I don't deserve it and I'm an outcast and nobody else wants to have anything to do with me, if you will have anything to do with me, if you're willing, I believe you can heal me. Would you have any doubt that Jesus would heal you if you came up to Him? I mean, to show you this man's poor self-image, he didn't even think Jesus would be willing to heal him. He knew Jesus could, but he didn't think He was worthy to be healed. He did not understand the unconditional love of God. And look what the Scripture goes on to say. 
And he stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus reached out and touched this man who was full of leprosy. This man who was diseased and smelly and disfigured. And he touched him, saying, I am willing to be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus loved the unlovely because he loved unconditionally. And then there was that guy Zacchaeus. Nobody, nobody in Jewish society in Jesus' day was hated more than a tax collector. They don't love today. But in those days, they were really hated. And let me tell you why. Number one, they were in collaboration with the Roman government. And the Jews hated the Romans. They hated the idea that the Romans were in control and governing them in Palestine. And it might have something to do with back a hundred or so years earlier, a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, who was uh, a Roman general, came through and conquered Palestine. And to insult the Jews, he offered a pig on the altar in the temple. Uh, That kind of stuff doesn't breed exactly goodwill, does it? They hated the Romans. Well, the people they hated worse than the Romans were the tax collectors because they were in cahoots with the Roman government. Their job was to collect taxes from the Jewish people for the Roman government. And not only were they in cahoots with the Roman government, that was enough for anybody to hate them, but they were crooked. It was just an excuse for extortion. They would go down by the seashore, and as the fishermen would come in, they would walk up and say, well, I see you caught about 200 fish. You owe me six shekels. Actually, they probably only owed three, but the tax collector could collect six, and he kept three and gave three to the Roman government. And they had to pay. They didn't pay. The Roman government was on their case to get thrown into prison. So they were extortionists. And so they were hated. They were dishonest. Hated people. Despised people. If it was anybody Jesus would not love, it would be this tax collector named Zacchaeus. But what did Jesus do? He saw him up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, come down. Today I'm going to eat in your house. Now, do you know what he was saying when he said, I'm going to eat in your house? Now, folks, to take a meal with someone in those days was to enter into a pretty close connection. You know, you didn't just eat with anybody. And here Jesus was going to eat with this reprobate, this extortionist, this thief, this man who was hated by his Jewish society, and Jesus was going to go into his home and eat with him? That was unheard of. But Jesus did so, why? Because He loved unconditionally. God's love is unconditional. Back when my kids were younger... I wanted to teach them about God's unconditional love and about how much He loves us. And so we had this little routine we would go through at night uh, as I was putting them to bed. And I'd say to them, you know, I love you. I love you so much. If every tree on every leaf in all the world was a million I love you's, it wouldn't be enough. I said, if every little piece of sand and every seashore was a million I love you's, it wouldn't be enough. I said, if the sky was a writing pad and the ocean was an equal, I couldn't write enough how much I love you. And then I'd say, you can never, ever do anything that will make me stop loving you. Nothing. I remember they thinking, they'd say, well, Daddy, what, what, what if 
What if I killed you and cut you up into a thousand pieces? I said, every piece would cry out, I love you. I love you. I love you. You can never make me stop loving you. I might get mad with you. I might get angry. But I'm always going to love you. God's love is unconditional. That's what the Christmas story tells us. He loves you and me. And we cannot do anything to make Him stop loving us. No matter how unworthy we are. No matter how unloving we are. No matter how undeserving we are. God loves us. He hates our sin, but He loves us. Because His love is unconditional. Now, if God so loved you, ought we not love to love each other? Not only is God's love personal, not only is God's love unconditional, but God's love is also sacrificial. Here we come to the heart of the Christmas story. That God gave His Son. Look again in our passage in verse 10. In this is love. In other words, I'm going to find love for you, John's saying. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's love. That God sacrificed His only Son. That Jesus took on humanity, that the Word became flesh and lived, pitched His tent among us. That He entered into the sufferings of humanity and He actually became sin on our behalf. That God gave His Son to be the propitiation. That means atoning sacrifice. The satisfaction of God's holy wrath. Jesus satisfied the holy wrath and justice of God on our behalf when He was punished for us. God sacrificed His only Son. And then also Jesus gave Himself. He emptied Himself. The Scripture says, although He existed in the form of God, that is, very God of very God, He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But He emptied Himself, taking on the form of a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. Look at that. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. John Haggai in his book tells us about Dr. Claude H. Barlow, a missionary to China. And Dr. Barlow in his missionary work in China realized that there was this disease that was running through the villages that was killing people and he had no clue what it was. Now there were... No laboratories, obviously, in that part of China. And so he began to do his own study of this disease. And he cataloged everything he could. He observed it. He wrote down everything he could find out about it. And everything he observed about it. And he even got a vial of this disease, germs. And he headed for North America to see if he could find out what the disease was and how to cure it. Right before he reached the shores of America, he took the vial of germs and he injected it into his own body that he would get the disease. He went to John Hopkins University Hospital where he had been to school and got one of his old professors to look and see if he could find what the disease was. He became the guinea pig. He got very sick, but the professor was able to find what the disease was, find a cure for it, give 
Dr. Barlow, the cure, he got well, took the cure back to China, and many Chinese were saved as a result of it. When someone was talking to him about being willing to sacrifice himself and put his life in danger in order to save others, he said, well, it was really, I think anybody in the same position would have done the same thing. Now, you and I look at a man who would be willing to do that, and we think that that's admirable, that he'd be willing to put his life on the line, not knowing if he could find a cure or not, that he might save others. Well, I want you to know Jesus did much more than that. He not only put his life on the line, he died for us. He experienced the holy wrath of God. He experienced hell for us. He gave up all the splendid glory of heaven. He gave up His omnipresence, His omniscience, the glory that He had there with the Father before the world was. And He took on humanity and became the lowest of all, a bond servant. And He became obedient, even obedient to the point of death on a shameful, painful cross. That's the sacrificial love of God. Now, if God so loved us, ought we not to love one another? Now, the fourth thing is God's love is also transformational. It's transformational. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The whole stress of this passage is on the transformational nature of God's love. That when God's love invades our lives, that we in turn are to love others. Look at what he says in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. He says God's love transforms our hearts. To know God is to know love, and to know love is to love others. And if you don't love others, it's a sign you don't know God. It's that simple, he said. How can the love of God invade our lives and not spill over into us loving others. John says it just can't be because God's love is transformational. Since God so loved us, He loved us unconditionally. We're to love others unconditionally. Not because they deserve it, but because God loves us. Changes things, doesn't it? Well, He doesn't deserve my love. No, He doesn't. And you don't deserve God's love either, but He loves you. And we love them because God loves us. You love them because God loves you. And if you're His child, He's poured out His love in your heart through the Holy Spirit. It transforms us. We're to love sacrificially. Not because they deserve it. They don't deserve you to go out of your way to help them. They don't deserve for you to have to sacrifice for their benefit. But you do so because God sacrificed for you. If God so loved us, Ought we also not to love one another? Sure. In the same way. God's love is transformational. Now John writing this, John's not speaking out of uh, just theory here. This John, who's writing these words about God's love and about loving others, (laughs) was the same John that one day said, Jesus, call down fire from heaven and destroy these people. Because they won't let us go into their town. Bring down fire and kill them. Jesus nicknamed this guy the son of thunder. They were hot-headed. John and his brother. Hot-headed. One time they saw people out doing miracles and they said, Stop! You can't do that. And they went back to Jesus and said, Jesus, they're doing miracles. Tell them to stop. He said, They're not against us. They're for us. 
He said, they can't do miracles in my name and speak bad about me. But this same hot-headed John was transformed by the power of God's love and now he is writing to you and I to love one another as God loved us. Newspaper columnist and minister George Crane tells a story that happened while he was pastoring of this lady that came into his study and she wanted counsel. She said, I want to divorce my husband. But she says, I just don't want to divorce him. She said, I want to hurt him. I want to make him miserable. I want to inflict the pain on him that he inflicted on me. Dr. Crane said, okay, I'll tell you what, let's do. You go home and you act so kind to your husband. You act so loving to your husband. You just try to attend to his needs and you be thoughtful to him and you be kind to him. You do everything you can to make him think you are madly totally, completely in love with Him. And then when He thinks you are, then you up and say, hey, I want a divorce. And it will crush Him. She thought, wow, now that's a pretty good idea. She liked it. So she left. She went home. She committed herself to it with enthusiasm. And she'd be kind to him. She'd listen to him when he was talking. And, and she'd do things for him. And, and she'd cook his meals. And, and she'd act like she just really enjoyed being with him. Enjoyed his company. And, and oh man, just did that for two months. But Dr. Crane said he didn't hear anything. So he called her up. And he said, well, you ready for the divorce now? She said, divorcing? No, I just found out how much I love him. You see, her emotion turned into emotion by acting loving and kind and sensitive. And all those things, her emotions, her heart was released to loving. You see, God's love is transformational. God moves in our hearts with His love. And we in turn love others, act loving toward others because He loved us. And you know what that does as we're acting loving toward them? He transforms our feelings. And our emotions become emotions. And we really do love each other. Let's pray. Father, thank You that the true story of Christmas is Your love. Your love for us and our love for each other. And by Your grace, move in our hearts so that we might indeed love each other as You've loved us. With a love that's personal, unconditional, and sacrificial. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity to respond today as the Holy Spirit has dealt with you. Maybe you've never come to a place that you've responded to God's love for you. And you're still walking in enmity. You're still angry with Him. You're still separated from Him because of your sins. I want you to know Jesus says, Come unto Me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Jesus says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He says, that all who come to Me, I'll in no wise send any away. He'll receive you if you'll come to Him. I don't care what you've done. His love is unconditional. If you'll come in simple faith and trust that everything He's done, He's accomplished everything necessary for your salvation. If you will come and surrender of your will to His will as Lord of your life, willing to turn away from anything in your life that might not be pleasing to Him. Now, you can't turn away from it on your own. But by His grace you can. He just says, be willing to turn away. That's repentance. This is your heart's desire. I want you to step out as we sing and and come and talk with me. And I'll be glad to talk with you. And if 
More conversations needed. We have trained counselors that can speak with you. Maybe you need to just come and pray. Maybe you've not been loving others as God loved you. and You want to come pray about that. Maybe you have not realized how much God loves you and you just want to come and thank Him. Just be obedient to the Holy Spirit as we stand and sing together.